We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Aitman is intercepted by Sam Mills. Steve Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. Newton steps up, throws for the end zone. Olsen, touchdown! Brian Burns to the house. And it is caught for the touchdown by Moore. And in the foot race, McCaffrey to the end zone. He pounded on three. One, two, three. He pounded Panthers fans, welcome back to another edition of the Roar Podcast. John Ellis, Billy Marshall, we've got a lot to cover. A huge show today. Mark Schofield joins us later from USA Today to give his thoughts on the Sam Darnold trade, as well as where Carolina might be looking in this year's draft. First, though, a very special guest, one of our favorite people. NFL matchup on ESPN, the co-host, it's the great Matt Bowen joining us on the Roar Podcast. Matt how you doing? Happy draft season. Thanks for joining us, man. Hope all is well. I'm doing great. How are you guys? Oh, we're great, man. Love to have you on board here on the Roar Podcast. Matt, as always, with your expert eye on what's going on in terms of draft prospects, we're going to get to all that stuff here throughout the course of the show. But Sam Darnold, I mean, what else can you say? He's a Carolina Panther. It was the big news story of last week across the league. And uh, he's spoken with the media since, made a very good impression, I thought. Matt Rule seems to like a lot of specific things about his game. When you look at his game, I know you've studied a lot of tape on Sam Darnold, dating back to that draft where he went top three. What kind of quarterback do you feel Carolina is getting right now? Well, I think what you have to look at here, John, is that Carolina, in my opinion, they're betting on the first-round traits of Sam Darnold, right? They're betting on the first-round traits their coaching staff, and their offensive system. That's how I viewed this because Sam Darnold was a consensus, consensus top three pick. We all understand that coming out of USC. He has high 
level traits, both as a thrower and the ability to move or the movement traits slash second reaction ability to escape and extend and create off schedule. Now you have to look at why it didn't work in New York. There's a lot of reasons you can give as opinions. I usually focus on the player. And Sam Darnold is still at a point where he can be developed. He can be coached up in terms of being more consistent with his footwork, his lower body mechanics, being more consistent as a decision maker when he does get outside of structure, because we know he can because of the traits, but being more consistent as a decision maker there and protecting the football, not turning the ball over. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the fit, you have to like the idea of the fit. If he's coached up, if he shows signs of development, because of Joe Brady and how he can scheme offensive personnel, how he can create second-level windows, how this offense can also, I think, grow because with Sam Darnold, you're going to have more ability to push the ball down the field. I think you can scheme more vertical shot plays, use match protection, use play action, throw the deep over routes, scheme up the deep post down the middle of the field when you have middle of the field open versus split safety coverage. There's going to be opportunities to do that because, again, of the traits with Sam Darnold. And I'm very interested to see how it plays out. I don't think you can make an opinion now. I know that's our job in this business to say, well, this is going to happen. We don't know that. Right. We have to see how it works in that system. And I'm really excited to see it because that is a very strong coaching staff and a coaching staff that has proven both at the college and the pro level they can scheme and they can game plan in terms of talking about the offensive side of the football under Joe Brady. Don't and we, we, did, we did Joe Brady's offense a couple times last year on the matchup show, and I watched their offense all season. Yep. That is a way to scheme a quarterback. That is a way to scheme wide receivers open. That's a way to use both motion and movement pre-snap to get the matchups you want. Now it's going to come down to Sam under that coaching, showing those positive signs of development and producing at the position. And I, I'm glad you mentioned that about the scheme because I saw some of your videos last year, Matt, talking about Brady's schematics, how he works guys open there and some of the route concepts. What, what, because we've talked a lot about Teddy here. We've talked about his arm strength, his confidence. When you put on tape, what, what holds him back in terms of being able to hit passes that obviously he needs to hit? Well, what's going on with Teddy in your mind? You know, the Sam Darnold move obviously tells you that they're most likely going to move on, right, guys? That's what it tells us when yeah. you invest – you know, future draft capital and pick up a 50-year option of the quarterback. Sam Darnold's going to be your number one. Um, you know, on Teddy last year, I'll say some things first. I, I thought he played a lot more physical at the position. I really did. There was times when he pulled the ball down and, and used his legs to pick up first downs. I thought he battled inside the pocket. He did make a lot of plays for the offense. So one time, if you're using the term held you back, I would use the term missed opportunities. Some late-game situations where there's throws he has to make, Right. Yeah. And just like you're saying, John, the throws he has to make that he didn't make. Right. Okay. And I don't think it's mechanics. I think Teddy is a strong thrower from the pocket. He doesn't have elite arm talent. He's more of a timing and rhythm throw that needs to be schemed up like in Joe Brady's offense, like he was last year. But there's just some missed opportunities in the film that, that's, that you know, it, it sounds simple and kind of boring, but that's the truth. That's what I saw in film. Late game opportunities, games they had opportunities to win those football games where he had to make some high-level throws. He just didn't get it done. I want to transition over to the defense. This is a position that you play, and you do some tremendous work breaking down this 
side of the ball. Uh, Carolina's defense was very young last year, and Phil Snow was a new coordinator. Uh, What did you see from this defense from a schematic standpoint? They did a lot of interesting things, especially in that Green Bay game late in the year. They just frustrated Aaron Rodgers. Um, But what have you seen from this defense, and where do you think they have room to grow? Well, I was actually just looking at the numbers before I came on. You know, at ESPN, we can track their coverage rates. Um, And I thought it was interesting. Carolina led the NFL last year in cover three. Uh, cover three is three deep, four underneath coverage. Right. Uh, and this is based on, co- you know, coverage snaps, opponent dropbacks. You know, they played cover three in 41.1% of coverage snaps. It's a very high number. You go to man coverage, guys. In man coverage, they're, they're down towards the bottom. They were, um, if I pull it up here, they were 31, yeah, 31st in the NFL in terms of man coverage snaps. So will we see a situation this year where, yes, they can still be a zone-heavy defense. They can play cover three. They can play quarters. They can use some late movement in disguise. And especially they have some talent back there and guys that have the versatility to move around. But will they become a little bit more man-heavy? Okay, now we could learn more about that through the draft and moves they make through the draft. But can they be a little bit more man-heavy? Because I've said this about all zone-heavy teams. There's still situations in football games as a coach or coordinator where you want to play man coverage. Using third and two to six inside the low red zone, that's where you want to play man coverage. That's when you want to challenge wide receivers. And I think they have the personnel. And again, I think they can add more to the draft where they can become a little bit more man having a little bit more pressure heavy as well. Uh, one position that presents a glaring need for this team is cornerback. They did pretty well um, addressing linebackers, signing Denzel Perryman, and uh, they also did some interesting stuff on the defensive line and Ed Rusher with Morgan Fox and um, Hassan Reddick. Uh, but what do you see out of the top three or four corners in this class? And I'm specifically referring to Sertan Horn and uh, the guy from Northwestern, Newsom. Well, so Patrick Sertan, you're talking about the prototype of the position. If you're going to be a press man defense and play heavy man coach, that doesn't mean he can't play zone. They played zone at Bama too. He can stay over the top as an outside corner and cover three. He can sink and jam in the flat as a cover two corner. But in terms of his traits, I think he's the top corner in this class. Uh, he's 6'2", 208 pounds. He's got explosive testing numbers. You can see his explosive traits in the field. He's got the short area speed to close in the football, plus the recovery speed to win down the field and be in a position to finish in the ball. I love his play style. Very physical play style. If I'm a secondary coach, guys, I want corners to tackle. You got to tackle. You, you just right. have to. Yep. You, you have to be able to play off blocks and tackle and set an edge of the run game. And you have to be physical when you do it. You have to be a tone setter. And I see that with him. In terms of J.C. Horn, again, long press corner, right? Ultra competitive play style. He can play both inside and outside the numbers. He's got slot reps on tape. I think he's got explosive juice when he comes out of his break, too, when he's playing from an off-man position. But really, you want him up close, hands-on wide receivers, ability to challenge, reroute, and work to that hip and stay on that hip within the, the stem of the route. I think he does have ball production. Now, he doesn't have a lot of interceptions. Here's the thing I look at with defensive backs. Everyone wants interceptions, right? But they don't just fall from the sky. Those are hard to get. And sometimes you got to be a little lucky, too. Yeah. You want guys who finish on the football, okay? Passes broken up. That's ball production, in my opinion. I think he will bring that to the National Football League. And just I keep going back to the competitive traits. Man, I, I want that in the corner. I want a corner that says I want the number one. I want him every week. I don't care where he lines up. I don't care. Spoken like I want the number one. 
Smoking like a true <laughs> secondary man right there. Matt Bowen joins us. <laughs> NFL analyst. He has, of course, played uh, in the NFL. He played for the Packers, played Redskins, of course, the Washington football team now. And you can find his work at Matt Bowen 41. Matt, uh, here's a guy I, I know you've talked about before, and I think you coined the, the term monster back. Jeremy mm-hmm. Chin. Are you the guy that called him a monster back? Yeah, we did a piece at ESPN. It was, it was the old magazine, ESPN the magazine. This was yeah. uh, might have been like five years ago, uh-huh. and uh, kind of started with you know Tyron Matthew, you know uh, a versatile piece in the secondary who can play play deep, roll down in the box, you know match up to a tight end, uh, carry a vertical seam from the slot, pressure, tackle in the run game, do everything right. And I think that's kind of the modern NFL. You, you want that multi-dimensional talent in the secondary. And Jeremy Chin gives that to you. Now, obviously, there's times in, on the film last year where he made rookie mistakes. That's, that's understandable, guys. Yeah. We see, here's a problem, I, I think, with football in general, with young players, whether it's a first-year varsity player in high school, a freshman in college, or a rookie in the NFL. We expect immediate results. It's just not reality. What you're looking for is developmental traits, the ability to show growth and development with live game reps. Because guys, that's the only way you get better. It is. You got to play. You got to play and you got to get beat sometimes. Uh, but in terms of the impact ability, the disruptive ability Jeremy Chin has, you're not around the football all the time, John, by accident, right? That doesn't, that doesn't happen. Doesn't guys happen. that are around the football <laughs> are there for a reason. Yep. They have natural instincts or natural awareness and a high football intelligence. That's what I see with Jeremy now, the traits, the athletic traits, the physical tools, he has all that. We saw that on his college tape at SIU. He has those traits. And you can deploy him in so many different ways. If I'm a defense coordinator, I want him playing strong safety. I, I can see him playing as a quarters technique, playing over the top of the deep half. I'm going to pressure him. I'm going to scheme him up on pressures. I'm going to match him to tight ends. You have a running back that flexes from the backfield. I might match him up there, too. You do a lot of different things for you. And that gives you flexibility as a play caller as well. Matt, just from my view, I, just, I looked at about every snap he played last year on tape, and I know you you know the tape a lot better than I do. But, man, he flies. He gets there fast. Mm-hmm. He gets there with urgency and a bad mood, too, like his uncle, Steve Atwater. It just looks right. so pure. There was a play against the Packers. I know you watched some of that tape where he was 30 yards removed. He was mugging up and blitzing. And he races back down the field to catch the receiver and, and puts him out. I mean, puts a good lick on him. And, and you, know, you see right. guys around him sort of, you know, get to the ball. But he just flashes on every play in terms of his speed. You talked about maybe some things in coverage here or there that he's you know, got to work on. And, of course, rookies are rookies. That's going to happen. But I think we're all excited about Jeremy Chin. One or other guy I want to talk to you about before I hand it back over to Billy here is Brian Burns. Uh, just a, a player t- to mm-hmm. me that has been nothing short of outstanding given the limited reps he's had. He's had some injury issues at times. Uh, you, you know, Ron Rivera was figuring him out early there in year one. But when you put on the tape with Brian Burns, I mean, I know I see things that I love. What does what Matt Bowen see in a Brian Burns right now? Well, I think he shows the traits of a high-end pass rusher that can eventually develop into a scheme-transcendent pass rusher. I really believe that. If you put Brian Burns back in this draft class, he's a, he's a first-edge player taken, okay? There's no question about that because of the traits. He's got twitch off the ball. He has the ability to bend, okay? We don't talk about that enough. There's pass rushers that can't bend like that, that can, you know, can plant their outside foot and close immediately to the quarterback. I think you're starting to see now, John, He's developing more counters as well. Right. You know, he always had the speed and the traits coming out of college. 
Mm-hmm. But can you develop counter moves? That's, that's part of your development in the NFL is finding out how to beat offensive tackles, whether it's speed to power, getting them back on their heels, whether it's taking an inside move, whether it's slapping down the hands and ripping through the outside arm. There's a million things you could talk about there, but you have to develop your own toolbox, right? And every pass rusher is different, but you're starting to see that the toolbox for Brian Burns getting a little deeper. Okay, you see that on tape. And when he closes on the quarterback, guys, he can get there in a hurry. And that matters. That matters. That's why they do the testing times. That's why they, they track for defensive linemen, the 10-yard split. That's why it matters. How fast can you get from point A to B? And you have to get there in a hurry because the NFL quarterback, especially now with more quick game throws, and RPOs are going to get the ball out at a lightning quick speed. So you have to have an edge rusher that can win off the line of scrimmage, defeat his blocker, and then close immediately and put your pads on him. I really like Brian Burns. I think he's got a ton of upside, a ton of upside for a young defense that can continue to grow under this coaching staff. Yeah, we're really excited about him. One of the real cornerstones of this uh, football team. Uh, I want to transition back over to the offense um, as we continue looking forward to this draft here. Uh, you know, Carolina is sitting in a pretty interesting position, um, eighth overall. You know, I don't expect him to be available, uh, but a, a guy like Kyle Pitts, like mm-hmm. to me, he's the second best player in this class behind Trevor Lawrence. Um, I agree. I mean, what are your thoughts on just like this guy? Because even if I don't think the tight end label really matters, take the put a call him a wide receiver, and his athletic testing is very similar to a guy like DK Metcalf or Mike Evans. I agree. I, I would lean toward more towards Mike Evans because of his lower body flexibility. Um, I've, I've written about Pitts a couple times now at ESPN. Obviously, I've watched the tape. And there's no question he can attack the middle of the field from traditional tight end alignments, whether attached to the formation as an on-the-line tight end or off the ball as a movement tight end. You can scheme up a middle-of-the-field throws all day. Whether, you know, seams, overouts, crossers, run the middle of the field, sit route, produce after the catch. But I agree with you, Billy, on terms of what he can do when he's truly flexed from the formation. I, I, I wrote that piece today that John referenced in my pro comp form was Plaxico Burks. Now, I played against Burris in college in Michigan State. We had a horrible day. That was when Nick Saban was the head coach of Michigan State. Man, it was bad. We're not going to get into that. But uh, played against the pros, too. And the reason I comped in, uh, to Burris is because when you talk about three-by-one sets in the NFL, we see them all the time now. We see it even more at the lower levels because of the hash marks. He played in the field the whole time. But in the NFL, the three-by-one backside X receiver is so vital, in my opinion. Those are your isolation routes. Those are your true one-on-ones. I think Kyle Pitts can be your backside X wide receiver. I think he can be flexed out into the slot, run slot fades, run corner routes, be part of flood concepts, run the deep overs. And then when you get into the low red zone, he brings a ton of scoring upside because he's got body control. He's got a massive catch radius. He can simply out-muscle defensive backs to the point of attack. He's got a great rep. We're going to show it in the matchup show next week. Uh, matchup against J.C. Horn. You know, that, that's, that's best versus best, right? Oh, Running the slot fade, having to, having to win off the line of scrimmage and then be physical down the field versus a corner who likes to be physical with his hands. It's a great rep to look at because you're seeing two first-round talents calling after each other. He did it against Tyson Campbell, corner from Georgia, former five-star recruit. Mm-hmm. It could be a late first, early second-round pick. Beat him down the field in the fade route. Against Kelvin Joseph, the corner from Kentucky who has first-round traits. I don't know if jo- Joseph is going to be drafted as a one, maybe a day two pick, but he runs a sting route. I call it sting route, guys. That's when you run the corner and then break back to the post. 
Mm-hmm. And it's a nasty route. I've been beat on it plenty of times. <laughs> and uh, he gets on top of Kelvin Jones. That's corner. We're talking about corners here, guys. These are corners with first-round trades. Now, obviously, he has to do that in the NFL. But the, the, he has – the traits are so high level. The physical tools are so high level. I do agree that he's the second-best prospect in this class outside of Trevor Lawrence. The question is where he goes. Mm-hmm. You know, because, you, you know, if he gets past Atlanta, does Cincinnati take him at five? Put him, put him with Joe Burrow. You're talking about Joe Burrow's ball location and accuracy with Kyle Pitts and that catch radius. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's something to get excited about. Okay, well, what, if he gets, what if he gets past there? Yeah. Right, but what if he gets past there? What if Cincinnati takes a tackle? And what if Miami takes a wide receiver? And now you're talking, right? Now there's a strong possibility that he is there at eight. And I think if he's there at eight, he'd be hard to pass up. Well, you heard your folks, Matt Bowen is officially a Kyle Pitts fan. Who's not these days, man? He's just a remarkable athlete for his size. And, and we'll see. Maybe Carolina has a chance to uh, snag one of the best players in this draft athletically. I want to talk about Christian McCaffrey for a minute. Okay. We haven't heard in a while. He played three games last year, obviously. Yeah. Injuries do happen. It was unfortunate. He'd been a rock for three years. Hadn't missed one game. A lot of reps. Of course, they use him a lot in the backfield, like a 96% rate there. What do they need to do in terms of getting McCaffrey maximized within this scheme? And and what I mean by that, and I'm sure you understand what I'm saying here, I saw Mike Shula do a lot of stuff in terms of slot wide, maybe a little more utilization that way than Brady did. It seemed a little more like an Emmitt Smith utilization under Joe Brady. What what would you imagine Joe Brady has in store for Christian McCaffrey from a utilization perspective? Obviously, he's a great running back, but how can they maximize his skill set with what they have around him right now? Yeah, I think, John, we're getting at there is a pass game impact. Uh, I mean, for example, we're doing, you know, in our draft shows for matchup, we're doing running backs who catch, catch the ball, you know, and can be utilized in the pass game. That's what the league is right now. Yeah. We know Christian McCaffrey can create explosive play runs in a gap or zone scheme. We know that. It's on tape. Everyone's, everyone understands that. He, he is a fantastic running back, and he runs with power, speed, and lateral agility out of the backfield. But in terms of the route running traits, yes. He, if you're asking me, John, how I would utilize him, within Joe Brady's scheme, I think you can scheme him up as a slot target. I really believe that. Mm-hmm. Can he run the same routes that Curtis Samuel did? That's what I'm asking. Mm-hmm. Can he be a middle-of-the-field option, even a middle-of-the-field stretch option for you? Can he use him on jets and fly sweeps? Sure he can. There's a lot of things you can do because Christian McCaffrey has a high-end skill set. You know, the top two backs in the NFL in terms of, you know, run the football and catch the ball, out of the backfield from multiple alignments are Kamara and Christian McCaffrey, right? That's the type of talent we're talking about right here. Uh, And if I'm an offensive coordinator, and obviously I'm not um, because I'm a defensive guy, but (laughs) if I'm an offensive coordinator, yes. Because I know what I don't want to see on defense, right, John? I don't want to see Christian McCaffrey in the slot. Nobody wants to see that. It's a nightmare. Matt Bowen, 15 years ago, what would your reaction be if you're lined up in man opposite McCaffrey in the slot? I would go to the sideline and say, Coach, man, we need to rethink this. We need to, we need to think about this a little bit more. Um, that reminds me. I don't want to get off schedule. That reminds you. We were playing Wisconsin in 99. Yeah, 99. The night Ron Dane broke the record against us. Oh, yeah. And I was mad. 
I was matched up in the slot versus Chris Chambers. I remember telling Phil Parker, who was still the defense coordinator at Iowa, and at the time was their secondary coach. I was like, Coach, this isn't really working out for us, man. <laughs> but I want to go a different. But I want to go a different direction here. Chambers um, had some wiggle, man. He he was quick. He did. Yeah, he did. I remember another time when I was with Washington, we were playing Pittsburgh. We were running these slot blitzes, and I had to roll down over Randall L. Again, I'm saying this is not the matchup we want. Trust me. I mean, you know, look, you were a fine player. I, yeah, I, and I, I, I like the fact that you can look back and laugh at this stuff because I guess a lot of BBs, when you look back, some might have an ego that can't allow for that. But I love the fact that you can look back at some of these matchups and say, hey, look, this is not my best bet right here. There, there's one oh. guy that comes to mind. I, you and I talked about Steve Smith a while back on DM. We looked, mm-hmm. You were looking for a specific play. Oh, that was bad. There's two yeah. plays where I've seen Matt Bowen. And you did your best, man, but Smitty was so strong. There was the the, the stiff arm. I, look, I'm not going to beat a dead horse. If you want to take that one, you can. But there was one play when you were with the, the Washington football team and it, late in the game. Do you remember this play where they threw sort of the hail, it was a hail mary, it was like a hero ball down to Smitty. The champ was down there. You came in late trying to jar the ball out. And, yes. uh, and he caught it. And that, that's always on the highlight reels for NFL films. And I always look at it. I hate posting that one because I see Bowen and I'm like, I'm doing my man wrong here. No, you can post it. I hit him as hard as I could. Nothing. Happened. You did. You, you looked it. <laughs> so what, what I came to the sideline. I, I couldn't. But, go yeah, ahead, John. I was going to say, I'm going to go ahead on that. But Steve Smith, from a DB perspective, what was that like? Was it as advertised in terms of you know, what he would instill into an opposing DB's mind, which is, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to dominate you. He was one of the toughest, most competitive players I've ever seen. And I think that's Norm Parker, who has passed on, was our defense coordinator at Iowa. And I remember him saying this, when you get done playing and no one's really going to talk about how many touchdowns you scored, how many interceptions, the first thing you're going to say is, were you tough? That's the truth. That's, that's the best thing you could say about someone. Were you tough on the football field? Were you competitive? And, and Steve Smith, with all the other traits he had, because he was a dynamite receiver, dynamic, a guy with dynamic traits in terms of his ability to catch the football, run after the catch, set up defensive backs within the route. But his physicality, his toughness, competitiveness, man, uh, he's one of the best I played against, one of the best. And one of the guys you immediately respected when you walked in that football field because you knew he was going to battle you for four quarters. You knew it. And if you didn't battle back, he was – he was going to – he would take over the game. He would. And that play you're talking about, I hit him as hard as I could. Nothing happened. I couldn't feel my arm. So I came to the sideline, and the trainer just sprayed like this cold spray out. I was like, that's it? That's, that's all we got? It's, it's 2003? We got nothing better? <laughs> and I went back in. And at the end of that game, it was, it was Stephen Davis running back, right? 2003? Yeah. 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 I stripped the ball on the goal line. I'm telling you now, that was a fumble. Oh, that was, you. Uh, that, yes. that was you. Stri- I remember the strip. That was very controversial now. I didn't know yeah, you stripped that, man. I totally blew my assignment. Okay, so I was – it was a runaway. It's a goal line play. I'm on the, you know, the defensive left. He runs just to the right. I ran all the way across. You can't do that because the next time it was run, boot walk in for a touchdown. But I was like, look, I'm going to try to sell out. We got to try to win this football game. I remember punching down the ball, and I thought that was it. And then oh. we got in some replay, and – I remember that game, and it was such a magical year for Carolina that they kind of let that one ride because I, I, I thought they had just lost the game on the goal line there. And I, I'm, I'm ashamed I didn't know that was you. I knew you made the big hit, but, man, that was a nice little punch there. That was good stuff. Situationally. Um, 
Matt Bowen, man, this was great. Hey, tell us what's going on with the NFL matchup show coming up here at the draft show. You, Greg, Sal Pal, tell us about what we can look forward to on the next episode. Well, we got two coming up, April 21st and April 27th. Um, They're going to be in primetime, too. So oh, there we go. Okay. Primetime. Um, yeah, they'll both be in primetime. Um, obviously, we'll go out there and tape, tape a little earlier. We'll tape during the day. Um, but, yeah, they'll be broadcasting primetime. And we're going to hit on the top five quarterbacks. I mean, we have to do that. Talk about their traits, their, their pro fits. Look at the wide receivers. I mean, I, Jamar Chase from LSU, you know, that was my count for Jamar Chase was Steve Smith. Um, just because oh, of their man. play style, their the ability to catch and run with the football. Um, make third level plays, separate vertically down the field. Um, we're going to look at different, we're going to take a little different approach. So like, John, when we look at wide receivers outside of Chase and Smith, we look at players that are motion movement guys um, that can be schemed on manufactured touches too, almost using a Tyreek Hill role. Um, and obviously, Jalen Waddles at the top of that group will hit on Elijah Moore, Kadarius Tony. Rondale Moore and two other receivers, Terrace Marshall from LSU and Rashad Bateman from Minnesota. We see them as two receivers who would be deployed or utilized like Allen Robinson and Michael Thomas. Okay, so this wide receiver class is deep and it's going to continue that way, guys. I coach at the high school level. You, you have 14 year olds who come into high school that are already developed in terms of catching the ball and running routes. The game has changed so much. I, I expect this to continue in terms of the wide receiver talent. Now, John, one guy I wanted to mention that I've written about is going to be in our show is Amari Rogers from Clemson. Oh, I love Amari Rogers. Right. And I did a wide receiver fits piece a couple weeks back, and I had his best fit as Caroline. You know, because Amari is physical. He's He's got catch and run traits. He can be schemed on the jets, the screens, the reverses. He can align the backfield and release out of backfield on routes. He's got vertical stretchability. And he's got that toughness, that competitive play style with him as well. So we're going to hit on Amari Rodgers. Obviously, the secondary, we're going to look at the defensive backs in terms of both corners, safeties, slot guys. And we're going to hit on some defensive players. We're going to do it a little different, John. We're going to call them defensive disruptors. Because you'll see it in Carolina, too. Everyone is using multiple defensive fronts now, right? Everyone is. Tilted fronts, odd fronts, even fronts. Mm-hmm. What you're trying to do is you're scheming pass rush matchups. You're trying to create one-on-ones whether by occupying blockers off of your alignment or doing slants, twists, and stunts. So guys like Jalen Phillips, Christian Barmore from Alabama, Davion Nixon from my school at the University of Iowa, guys who have disruptive traits that can be schemed to get to the quarterback. We're going to look at stack linebackers as well. One, one thing we do, John, is we, all, we base a lot of our show off the Super Bowl because, look, that's what everyone in the league does, right? They look at the Super Bowl champion and say, how do they construct their roster? Where's their impact talent? And if you look at Tampa, obviously disruptive up front, but also the stacked linebackers. You know, Devin White, Levante David, the ability to run sideline to sideline, have that second-level range, be able to match in coverage. Everyone saw Levante David when Tampa played two-man in the Super Bowl. Levante David was matched up to Travis Kelsey. No, he did a pretty good job. Remarkable. That was a remarkable piece of tape right. by him in that game. Right, and then – the running backs is running backs with pass catching traits. Travis Etienne, Najee Harris, and Kenneth Gainwell. I really like out of Memphis. Mm-hmm. Kenneth Gainwell, my count for him was Aaron Jones. You know, he's not going to be a heavy volume runner, John, but right. can he can he find daylight inside outside zone? Yes. But more importantly, he can run angle routes, arrow routes in the backfield, 
at Memphis, he had lined out wide as a wide receiver or in the slot. And he has some vertical stretch ability to him as well. So that's kind of how we're going to, you know, do the matchup show. Um, and Greg and I will, you know, break down different players. It's going to be fun. The matchup show during the draft is a lot of fun because it's not so scheme heavy. You know, we, yes, we talk about scheme, but it's more about the players, the traits, how they fit in the modern NFL. And, and that's what makes it fun. It's the best football show on television. John, I appreciate that. A lot of the shows that. out there, and I'm telling you right now, if you just want the nuts and bolts and no frills, it's what I prefer. And it's, it's such a well-done show, Matt. Uh, you guys have, have just a, done a great job. Greg, I, we're looking forward to the big show, man. And a shout-out to IC Catholic Football. Yeah. Man. Well, we're playing the spring season now, you know, because yeah, we, we, didn't, we didn't have a fall season. So, yeah, I've been coaching at IC now for six years. Um, it's been very influential in my life. And, and I tell people, this is my friend, so I needed it. Okay, I needed to get back in, in a like-minded environment. Yeah. Okay, and that's what I needed. Um, and it helps me. And I, and I think you should have, and this is my opinion, but you should have your own passion outside of work and family. And for me, that's coaching. Absolutely. It's getting on the field and coaching. Uh, we've had a lot of success at IC. Oh, yeah. Um, and we're excited. You know, we finish up the spring next week and then, you know, get back to uh, a regular schedule and structure for fall football with state playoffs because we don't have that in the spring. Uh, but it's been great for our seniors, and they deserve this more than anybody, to get back in the field and play, get back with their friends. The mental boost it provided to those kids is amazing. Just to get back in pads, even without a state playoffs. Um, it was awesome. And I was glad to be a part of it. Um, but I do appreciate all, all you guys and how much um, you help out the show on social media. That, I really appreciate that. Oh, it means a lot to Greg and I and well, Sal. Like I said, it, it's my pleasure to just uh, to talk with you once in a while on Twitter. I know you are second to none, and we learn a lot from you every week. Uh, I know our, our fan base does as well, and it's just been an honor to have you on the show here, Matt. We'll be sure to take a look at that show coming up, and uh, we're looking forward to your draft analysis, man. Have a great day, man. Thanks for joining us. All right, guys. Thank you very much. All right, Matt Bowen right here on the Roar Podcast on Blue Wire. fans welcome back to more podcast this is a special one right here folks we had this individual on i believe maybe our first or second guest of this show's history when old blue wire took a leap of faith on myself and billy and uh billy unfortunately can't join us tonight but it's our good friend mark schofield from touchdown wire usa today uh, on every podcast in america right now he's 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 everywhere folks and he's here with me to talk NFL draft, Panthers, answer a few of your questions. Mark, what's going on, buddy? What's going on, John? It's great to be with you, buddy. Um, yeah. Honored to be back. Like you mentioned, I was one of the early guests when yeah, you man. guys kicked this show off. Um, I'm excited you guys are still crushing it. It's great to see the growth. Great to see the guests. I know you guys chatted with Matt Bowen earlier. Um, yes. Excited to listen to that episode when it drops. Matt's fantastic. But after the show? He spent 30 minutes with us just chopping it up about some of the cool stories and then coaching high school now. Just a great dude. Yeah, absolutely a great guy. One of my first I've made it moments in this entire industry. I haven't had that many, but one was <laughs> Matt Bowen related because we were down. Whenever I go down to Mobile for the Senior Bowl, I stay at yeah. the downtown Holiday Inn. I love it. It's got a nice breakfast. You can walk yeah. to Veets, all that good stuff. Right. And I can work out there and things like that. 
it was after a day of practice. I'm in the lobby chatting with a couple of different people. Matt Bowen walks in with a couple of other people and he's, he's walking by in the group that I'm with and he excuses himself from that group to come over and talk to me. You got to be kidding. Oh, wow. It was literally, John, it was one of those moments where I'm like, I hope everybody's seeing this. I hope this is on camera because this is Matt Bowen. He's one of the best people in this industry, but he's been a great, great resource for me. And you know, his, he wrote some coverage guides over when he was with Bleach Report. So this might have been eight, ten oh, years Oh, I've ago. seen those write-ups. They're and great. I, I swear to God, John, they must still be wondering who's clicking on them because it's me. Like every day <laughs> I'll be like, is, is this well, – am I seeing this right? So, I mean – He did a route concepts piece on BR, and I still go to that when I need a little bit of, uh, you know, brushing up on, on how to term things. I, I'm tell, I got to know him a little bit uh, on Twitter. You know, yeah, how it is. When you get on here, you do content, you, you – you know, shoot a DM to a guy and usually you don't hear back. Well, Bowen was like, you know, anytime I can help you guys out, let me know. Really like the content you're putting out. It's like, well, that to me, it's like your story of, of a Matt Bowen coming up to you. It almost means more than like a, a, a top tier player. That's one of those right. guys to me. That's a legend in this business. As much like yourself, Mark, let's be honest, man. You're one of the heavy hitters, bro. Uh, no, 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 no. Come on. You're just, you're just being kind, John. Um, no, man. You, you, are, you, are to, you are to me what Bowen is to you, and the tradition will continue. I'm looking forward to coming down and hanging with you guys soon. Man, um, I, I cannot wait for that. We will, uh, we will introduce you to the glory <laughs> that is Vitz Bar and Grill. Oh, I've heard it. I've heard all about it, man. So uh, since we last spoke, uh, which was, I guess, on a podcast last July or August, a few things have happened in the NFL. But most recently, uh, one of the quarterbacks that I know you have seen very close up because you do a lot of work with the Pats. You, you, you see the AFC East uh, at close range, and this is one of the reasons I wanted you on today. It's Sam Darnold, man. He's a Carolina Panther. And it was a bit of a stunner for me when I saw the news break because I'm thinking, you know, Carolina has plenty of opportunities here to, to get some things done in the draft in that first round. But when you think about it, the more I thought about it, I'm thinking to myself, you know what? Maybe they just didn't like who they could get at eight. And Sam Darnold's a guy they valued in that organization. I turn it over to you, though, Mr. Mark Schofield. You've seen plenty of Sam Darnold, the good, the bad, the ugly. What are we getting in Carolina? Well, first off, I, I'm a huge fan, John, of when teams, and, and both on the micro and the macro level, give themselves different pathways to success, whether it's, mm-hmm. say, it's in a game and you find different ways to attack a defense, to attack an offense, whether it's a roster construction standpoint, where you give yourself different bites of the apple via the draft, where you give yourself more pathways to to figure out what you need to do from a construction standpoint of the roster. Mm-hmm. And I love what Carolina did through that lens because like you said john they were probably looking at once the san francisco 49ers traded up to three they're looking at the same draft boards we're looking at they're looking at the same mock drafts we're looking at and they're thinking we might get quarterback four if we're lucky maybe it's quarterback five and maybe we'll have to trade up to get that player Mm -hmm. are we willing to let the sort of gods decide who our quarterback is, or do we want to, as as an organization, take some agency and ownership over that decision? And I think that's what they did. They've put themselves in a position where they have a quarterback in Sam Darnold, and I'll sort of walk through what I think of him in a second, but they have a quarterback in Sam Darnold where they can go into the 2021 season, and if that is their quarterback, they can try to build around him with that pick at eight. If it happens that a Justin Fields somehow slips to eight, and they really like Justin Fields – they can still draft him. Like, no, nothing's stopping them from taking a quarterback at eight. Absolutely. Or if, it's just, or if there's a situation that unfolds that, you know, a quarterback they don't necessarily like, 
whether it's a Trey Lance or Mac Jones or maybe even Justin Fields, is there at eight. And another team says, look, man, we'll give you two future first rounders, our first rounder and a couple of picks to come up and get that guy. They can then do that, you know, and because Sam Darnold is a talented quarterback. He's relatively new to the the position. One of the things I liked about him when he was coming out was the mechanical flaws, the loopy delivery and all of that. It's not so baked in because he only started playing the position when I think he was a sophomore in high school. He was a linebacker before that. Yeah, that's a good point. And so I I think there's room for improvement. There's hope with Sam Darnold. He's certainly talented. He can make plays. He's athletic. He can make plays off of structure. He can make throws off of platform. Everybody's seen the throw made again. San Francisco rolling to his left, thrown back to the middle of the field. (laughs) It's reaching meme status at this point, Mark. (laughs) John, it's like poo meme status from my my point of view here. I want a poo meme mask, Mark. Send one now. I got to have it. (laughs) I will send you. It was the best 20 bucks I ever spent, John. I'm I'm, I'm telling you, it was fantastic. Um, But that's what Sam Darnold offers, not poo memes, but athleticism. And (laughs) if you're thinking about where is an environment where Sam Darnold can fix things, I do think Joe Brady is one of the few people on the planet I'd trust with that, with that mission. Mm-hmm. And I do think that there is something to be said about Adam Gase and getting out from Adam Gase. Adam Gase yeah. has a reputation as a quarterback whisperer. Maybe that's warranted. Maybe it's not. But what, I do what, think what that, whispering loud enough, Mark. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, I mean the, he, the message wasn't getting through to Sam. And I think you're right that some of that falls on the coach. And I think Sam's taken ownership. He's been very graceful about it. But no, I think people would be ignorant to overlook the fact that that was a very dysfunctional situation, particularly last season. Yeah, I do think that that was a dysfunctional situation. I think that that, look, he, he comes into the league and is under a defensive-minded head coach to begin with and let Adam Gase, and I don't think they did enough to put weapons around him. I do think they tried, right? You know, I thought right. that he was going to have a fantastic relationship with Chris Herndon, the tight end. He's had some injuries and some suspension issues. I think Denzel Mims is going to be a great receiver in this league. I think he was a great draft pick for them. But obviously, one year together isn't going to do much. They've had other guys that have gotten banged up. You know, so I, I think they tried, but they didn't do enough. I, I could envision a situation. Well, they, and and by the way, they, were, they, weren't, they weren't trying really to do much. <laughs> so that's why they're sitting where they are now in the draft. Right. The I mean, they constructed the roster, uh, I guess, to their credit, to be there in the mix for one of the top guys. And, and mission and accomplished. That's, mission, you know what? And that's my thing. I guess sure we can talk about this part later, but that was my frustration with Carolina's sort of a half a baby tank they did. It's like, all right, you know, it's, this is going to be a 5-6 win thing here. So when they win against Washington late in the season, folks – don't pout about it because it all starts with how you construct the roster. But I just think that that that, that was a tough situation for Sam last year. And uh, go ahead, Mark. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right, John. It, it was a bad situation. And sometimes look, a change of environment is all you need. And yeah, he's still young. I mean, he's like basically the same age as Mac Jones, right? Yeah, he's and a baby. So, he's 23 and 31 yeah. days. I'm looking at his uh, – Look at his exact age on Spotrack for his contract. He'll be 24 coming up this season. So, I mean, that's, a that's a young quarterback, and not a lot of that stuff is baked in. And, and you yeah. think, you know, what could you as the Carolina Panthers organization start to put around him? You know, if you do stay at eight and make a selection and you do decide, you know, maybe you want to add a receiver there, maybe you want to go out tackle there, maybe you want to go corner there. Mm-hmm. There's a number of dire- different directions. So you many can go possibilities. As an organization, whether it's eight, 39, 73, you yeah. can go in a number of different directions. And so, you know, that's sort of my, you know, long-winded answer, but to boil wow. it down to the, 
you know, too long, didn't read version. They've given themselves as an organization multiple pathways to have a successful season going ahead. And potentially they could accumulate the future draft picks so that if Sam does not work out and you get two future first rounders in exchange for moving down, now you've got the weapons to go get your guy in the future. Yeah, I feel very much Mark Schofield, by the way, joining us from uh, Touchdown Wire. You can catch him at Mark Schofield on Twitter. I I do feel that this is much different than the Marty Herney regime. I think Scott Fitterer came in, and he was the last guy interviewed for GM spot there, Carolina. This is, you know, in my view, and this is kind of the the speculation I've heard, is he came in and just kind of knocked socks off and said, you know what? I know what I'm doing here. I come from a very aggressive front office, but an office that also knows how to trade back and accumulate assets. And I think part of it was the reason that Dave Tepper, as I say, got a little horny for quarterbacks this offseason instead of the Rome wasn't building a day plan was maybe Scott rattled him up a little bit and said, hey, why are we waiting? Let's, I mean, our defense is, is blossoming here. What are we waiting on? Let's go get a guy who can win now. Obviously, it's not Teddy. We tried that. And uh, I do think the organizational shift is interesting there. And I have to think Scott Fitterer is part of that. And, and you know, to Dave Tepper's credit, he's pouring resources into this thing. And he, he's right there doing what he can to get this program built to, to a higher standard with a new facility. And I'm certain that's going to be attracted to free agents down the road. But to your point about Sam, uh, I, I think you're exactly right. I, Billy and I talked about this. And Billy's perspective on it was very much like, mine. it's just an incomplete grade right now. We don't know what to expect. We don't know how it's going to look because it's very much like a reset for Darnold. It's almost like another rookie season. New coordinator, a very competent one in Joe Brady. How long is Joe Brady going to be here? I don't know. But let's milk him for all we got for one year. And maybe get Sam's, you know, fundamentals, his head in the right space. When I watch Sam on tape, you know, I I don't watch as much Sam tape as probably you guys have. But I, I took some time and sat down. And I just saw some things that were like almost mistakes you can look at and say, ah, I I know what I did there. I can clean that up. Obviously, that's just a bonehead interception. I saw Ghost against New England. It was a a zero blitz. I was was a young guy. Uh, Those things will happen, and those those stigmas can stick with you. The fumbling's not good, obviously. But I think he's a better – guy for this offense in that green zone 30 yards in than Teddy Bridgewater. He's willing to push it up there a little more. And I think they need that. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. One of the things that I really did like about Darnold coming out, and I think it's still there is that sort of gunslinger mentality that arm aggression as Jordan Reed from the draft network terms that that willingness Mm -hmm. to challenge some windows that maybe some quarterbacks aren't willing to make, aren't willing to make those throws. Um, I think you could be a quarterback that, has a solid NFL career if you are a bit more cautious with the football. But I always like it when a quarterback's willing to push the envelope a bit because you can't play the position scared. You can't play you timid. Can't, like and, and Donald still has that. That part hasn't left. And so you yeah. combine that with some weapons and you know a reset button, like you said, Carolina might hit it here. Now, yeah. what, what if I were to put odds on it? I, I still think it's maybe 50-50, you know? But – Fifth, how what's the hit rate on even first round quarterbacks? <laughs> you right? know, uh, damn, Mark. If, if if I wasn't gonna think the same thing just now, I'm looking at some draft charts in the past 10 years, and I pulled this out the other night, showing my brother. I said, Look, I mean, we've got we've got some guys out here like Jake Locker and Brandon Whedon. It doesn't always work out, very no. rarely does it work out. So, and, and we've even been, we've been deeper talking into that. Story. Yeah, like go ahead, go ahead. QB four in the draft, QB five in the draft. Now right. we might be in a rare set of circumstances. Where we're going to see four or five guys in the top 10, but generally the fourth or fifth quarterback off the board, isn't somebody that's going to hit. And, Here's, and my so, question. Here's my question. Do we know what's different this year? Are we just 
I mean, Mac, his ascension was pretty quick. Most people had Mac like a second round guy. That's Billy had him there a while back. I kind of had him late first round, and all of a sudden, you know, he's right up there at three. I, that's probably I would I would imagine that's a little bit of smoke, but you know, Kyle, you never know. Um, do you truly think there are five guys right there that could go maybe you know top ten? I do. I, I think the Crazy. combination of need at the position, mm-hmm. you know, with a number of teams that need to address the quarterback position. And then there's always a wild card or two that's in the mix. I think if you think back to the Mahomes pick by the Kansas City Chiefs when they went up, you know, a lot of people thought Kansas City might go quarterback but not be aggressive. That right. was a bit of a surprise. Right. And then you look at this draft and you look at, okay, the teams we expect to be in the mix, your Denver's, your New England's, you know, even technically yeah. Carolina is still in the yeah. mix there. But then there's a, a team like Detroit at seven that, yeah, they're in a similar boat to Carolina where they've got a guy, but they could still go quarterback if the quarterback sure. they like is there at seven. Yeah. Or teams could come up. Chicago is lurking at 20. We just saw Matt Nagy was at Justin Fields' second pro day, so maybe hmm. Chicago goes QB. Washington is still sort of lurking. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick is a great story. Taylor Harnicky had a fantastic wildcard game. Oh, yeah. but that's a team that made it to the playoffs and has a tremendous defense. Maybe they're not done at oh, quarterback. So they are, there's always hate, that wildcard team, too. I hate this. I hate the one quarterback away thing. I, I but, but in that case, if you're going to say it, Washington, it's Washington did, right? They're the it's one Washington. team. That, yeah. it, 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 it did feel very much like one of those teams of, of of past years from the Carolina Panthers when Jake DeLome out of nowhere blossomed for them and he was the missing ingredient they had because Rodney P wasn't cut it. They had a top two defense, uh, you know, very much ready to win now with Julius Peppers. And that's what that team reminds me of in many ways. They just need more consistency and more vertical uh, competency at quarterback. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Washington's a good candidate to maybe swap picks with Carolina if they trade back to yeah, I mean, so and so that's what's really driving this. And there's also a second aspect to this. There's some draft cycles. And look, you've known me long enough, John. You know that I'm usually like late day three QB guy. Like I'm yeah. the guy that was like a couple of years ago. Yeah, 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 Daniel Jones. He's nice, whatever. Let me tell you about Brett Ripon, this kid from Boise State, right? right? I'm the guy that's doing that. You were, always, you were always the underdog, Mark. It's just in your blood, man. Your it's DNA. just in my blood, John. It, but. This isn't the year for that. Like, there's yeah. a drop off, and it and it's why we're starting to see this like late Davis Mills that. buzz or this late sort of Kellen Mond buzz. Well, and I heard by the way, I heard a Sirius XM quarterback rundown. They did a very good. It's good guys like Brock Hewitt, Jim Miller. I love those guys, but they almost have to be very diplomatic with every one of their break. They went all the way to they went past Mond. They, they did Davis Mills. Um, and they, they talked about Trask, uh, and, and there were very few weaknesses they pointed out. It was all like John Gruden back in the booth. I'm like, I want to hear some honest weaknesses here, but I'm with you. I think Mond, he's had a like a, it's like a billion snaps he's taken with A&M under a very good system, but the accuracy bothers me a little bit. He's just not very accurate. He's athletic. He, he's so high variance. I mean, yeah. At this point of the draft cycle, I've got like the talking points memorized on each quarterback. And my Mond talking points are literally two plays from the open and drive against Florida. The first one, static cover four. They've got motion. They're shifting. He knows it's cover four. He sees it's off coverage. He tries to throw the 10 yard out to the right and he stares it down, waits on it, and almost throws a pick six. And it's like, look, man. Right. If you've played this many snaps in the SEC, that, that ball is going to be out. Precisely. If you're going yeah, to, the snaps have to make it. And I have people all the time tell me that the snaps are a big thing to look at when you're evaluating. And I get that. But you get back to like a guy like Trey Lance, who is so pro ready in that system they run. 
maybe it's not so important. It's just, it's so case by case, Mark, you know, yeah, that works. And, and I think not all snaps are equal. I nope. mean, I think that's a good thing to keep in mind because with Trey Lance, you're getting a guy who is asked to do kills and maybes at the line of scrimmage, kill calls, maybe calls, right. change protections, get it in and out of plays. That touchdown run he had against Butler, that 50-yard touchdown oh, in his first oh. college start. John, that that's was McNair stuff. That was Steve McNair stuff going on. That, and, and, and it was an audible. It was an audible, right? He checked out of that because he saw a pressure look. And he was – and not that, only did he do that, and, and it's impressive enough – the coaching staff gave him the freedom to do that in his first college start as a redshirt freshman. For that. Absolutely, like, yeah. That, that that's heady stuff, man, and that that carries weight with me. And so, you know, that's why I think a team is going to look at Trey Lance and say, "Are there accuracy concerns? Sure. Is there a level of competition issue to think about? Yeah, there is." But you look at the talent and you look at what he was asked to do and you look at the fact that in some systems he could probably play right away and he's also very young. You're going to make a bet on that upside. Yeah, no doubt. Mark Schofield with us, Touchdown Wire, of course, uh, one of the best NFL analysts in the business. I want to talk to you about Christian McCaffrey, okay? McCaffrey uh, played three games last year. There's a, you know, obviously a running back premium contract on what is a very good player, Mark. Uh, I, I tend to look at his deal as, as more profitable in terms of your return because he's also a very good receiver, arguably the best hands on the team on any part of the field. Mike Shula was doing some stuff that I liked with him in terms of getting involved in the route tree, getting him more diversified. Joe Brady, for all he's done, I, I, I do think he wasn't quite as uh, – and North Turner as well. They, they both kind of overutilized him, and it's a small sample size for Brady, getting more of an Emmett Smith type of role. And, you know, Norv, honestly, that, I think that's how he viewed him in a lot of ways. I want to see McCaffrey – maybe like an 86, 85% backfield utilization and, and, and more slot, more out wide. Use his skills because you've lost Curtis Samuel now. That's just my rant on it. I think McCaffrey can really open up some things for Joe Brady. I'm excited to see it. Where do you stand on CMC as he's going into, what is he, one year, one, two, three, four, five now? Yeah, John, I'm kind of with you, and I'd, I'd almost push that ratio a bit more to the outside. Maybe it's six, something like 60-40. I mean, That'll work. I, and look, I, I know a lot of teams are sort of looking at their rosters right now and thinking, man, what would Kyle Pitts look like in our offense? But I can't get the idea out of my head of, you know, Kyle Pitts. That's what Carolina. I do every night before I go to bed, I mean, Mark. I look, get on my I, knees and I say my prayers and <laughs> my my light, my eyes turn into red lasers. I want Kyle Pitts down here now, man. I mean, John, I was telling people back – you know, when it looked like obviously New England was not going to be making the playoffs, I was telling people Kyle Pitts, no matter what, um, certainly he's not coming to 15. Um, so I, I've had to sort of swallow that one. I, I do remember a time, though, when Kyle Pitts might go past New England at 15, and those days are long gone. <laughs> but you start thinking about this is a matchup game, and, and I, I always – try to put myself in the mind of offensive coordinators. You know, what are we going to do? How are we going to attack defenses? How can we get mismatches? And then from the defensive side of the ball, how are we going to counteract and respond to that? But if you start thinking about a, a team that has a player like Christian McCaffrey that can both operate out of the backfield and a pretty versatile scheme, diverse back. I mean, I think, you know, outside zone, inside zone, gap power, whatever yeah. you can do it. Right. But they can also, look, if you get a defense you want to throw the ball against, you can put them out in the slot. You can get them matched up on safeties. You know, if, if a team decides, look, he's killing us, we got to put a corner on him. Well, who are you taking that corner off from? Where are you going to play 3-2-6? Oh, are you going to play? And, and that's exactly it. And so I, I think, you know, like you said, with Joe Brady, it was a small sample size. So he's yeah. probably figuring out, like, how could we best use this guy? 
you know, but when you have the opportunity to take a player like that, stress a defense in a number of different ways, force them to make decisions, you know, even if he's just now drawn CB2 or CB3 in coverage, that means, you know, your, t- your tight end, Darren Arnold, Arnold, is now maybe on a linebacker. Mm-hmm. Or you've got another receiver that's on a linebacker or a strong safety type. You're yep. creating mismatches elsewhere. Maybe it's not McCaffrey himself that's the mismatch, but he's creating it for somebody else. It just it puts more stress on the back end. Exactly. And I, I like to Matt Bowen. We talked you, you talked about Bowen in the opener and in our interview with Matt a couple of hours ago. He, he was brought up the fact that. John, I lined up against a lot of good backs in my days wearing 41 as a safety. I'd be mortified to do it against McCaffrey, so they need to do more of it. And that was a pretty telling comment. I think it's very true that not only would it give, you know, coordinators headaches and nightmares, but I think – and get yourself another a bully back there. Get yourself, you know, Reggie Bonifant's a very good back. They had Mike Davis. I, I think McCaffrey, you know, I like North Turner. I love Scott Turner. Two great guys I respect a lot. I just there wasn't wild about the utilization there towards the end. I just thought it got a little stale. And uh, But they're, it's to each their own. I just think McCaffrey is a really good receiver, and that's how you get your money's worth. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think that's exactly right. I, I think, you know, this is a passing league. This is a game that's dominated by the passing game right now. And if you can contribute as a running back in the passing game and you can generate those mismatches, you're doing something smart as an offensive coordinator. And look, you're obviously going to want to use him as a between the tackles outside zone kind of back at times. Right. But when you've got the opportunity to push the ball downfield with him or even just in the option route tree, um, I think you got to take advantage of that. Some perspective here, uh, according to PFF, he had 584 backfield snaps uh, in his rookie year, 151 in the slot, 66 wide. Uh, 2018, it was 858 backfield, 65 slot, 43 wide. 2019, 924 to 66, 47. So the, the ratio is honestly North had a way he wanted to do things, and it was a little different than Mike. And uh, both, I, I respect those guys a lot, but I do think they need to get him back in a situation where it looks more like 2017, where he's a little more versatile moving around and uh, creating conflict. We shall see with Christian McCaffrey, a guy that needs to stay healthy, Mark. No question. Yeah. Just stay I mean, that's healthy. the big one. I mean, stay if you get usage, get him healthy. Yeah. Uh, three games won't cut it, man. Uh, availability is what it's all about. All right, uh, before we kick back into the draft here and wrap things up, I got to get your thoughts on Carolina's young defense here. Phil Snow came in. A lot of people had a lot of doubts. There were some things, I think, that happened throughout the season that got people pissed off. I think they went two straight games without uh, forcing a punt. That never ends up tasting That's good. never good. No. Um, but, uh, man, the roster was so thin. You know in this league, Mark, it's not just about your top-end guys. The one reason Carolina was so good back in the early 2000s, you had Al Wallace, you had Kemp Rasmussen, you had, uh, you know, Shane Burton that you could rotate on that line, and they stayed fresh. They don't have depth on the interior part of the line. They don't have depth at linebacker. They're putting together things at corner. But really, the cornerstones right now, as you know, Brian Burns, Jeremy Chin, Derek Brown. I guess just one by one, if you could, give us your analysis on each of those young guys. And how do you see them moving forward in this defense? Yeah, I mean, it's such a young defense. But I think when you look back at last year, I mean, I think sort of a turning point game was that Saturday night game against the Packers where – you know, they gave Aaron Rodgers fits. They were showing him, you know, a couple of different, you know, multiple safety looks, different defensive coverages in the back end. Different was that you or Doug that did front. the right? You or Doug did a write up on that? Was it I Doug? Think we, or, I think we both, both tapped like, into that because it was. Didn't Aaron say they look like a college defense, but that was kind yeah. of a compliment? It was like, this looks different. I don't know what the hell's going on. He did look a little lost out there at times. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's exactly right. Um, and he did look lost out there at times. Now, I, I, I think, look, this is, a, as I said, it's such a young defense. You look at this defensive roster, right? You've got Brian Burns, obviously, tremendous player, great pass rusher. I've had some conversations with the people when, when Carolina was in the discussion for potentially traded for Deshaun Watson, although that's not going to happen now, or Russell Wilson. And people were like, yeah, but don't include Brian Burns in that deal. Like, he's that good. Oh, um, yeah. No 2019 first round pick, um, Derek yep. Brown, 2020 first round pick, Gross Matos, 2020 second round pick, then Jeremy mm-hmm. Chin, a 2020 pick, Troy Pratt, a 2020 pick. I mean, Bravion Roy, another defensive tackle, 2020 yep. pick. And so it's a young defense, but it's, it's talented. It, they're figuring it out. I, I do like what Phil Snow has done schematically, some different looks to confuse. When you're confusing Aaron Rodgers, you're, you're really doing your job. Yeah. You know, I think Gross Matos has, you know, a nice array of pass rushing moves that he can put together. Mm-hmm. Um, he's starting to figure out a decent pass rushing plan. Adding Hassan Reddick is going to be nice too because he can give you some rush off the edge. You could use oh, him man. as a, you know, situational pass rusher. He can do some different things for you. Mark, I was talking to Stanley McClover, Brian's brother. He played in the league a while back. Stanley yeah, gets on DM all the time with me because we love talking about his younger brother. And he, he just said, John – it's going to be nasty. Is it Reddick on one side, Brown on the other? And I just said, if they can just have some good health on the interior line there, those two guys can just pin their ears back. If they can yeah. shut down the run and just get in third and long, the, the Burns and Reddick together, the way they rushed the passer last year in unison, it's going to be pretty fun to watch. Yeah, it's going to be tremendous. It's, it's, you know, you're starting to feel like, okay, well, this is – a defense similar to what Washington is building, right? Because Washington has their defensive front. That's really the strength of their defense. And you can see Carolina starting to put that together. And then, look, Jeremy Chin, I think, is one of the more fascinating players in this league as we move towards that positionless player type of role, that type of mindset where, you know, and you can look in this draft too, whether it's Jeremiah Wilson-Kamora or even Xavier Collins, Baron Brown, and, you know, guys that are like linebackers in name only or, you know, even at the cornerback spot, Elijah Molden, a guy that could probably play, you know, linebacker safety, whatever, right. you know, guys that can, again, it's that matchup conversation we were just having on the offensive ball. Well, now you've got a guy that can be that matchup eraser, a guy that can cover a tight end on first down, cover a slot receiver on second down, and then blitz and get after the quarterback on third down. Those sort of, sort of players that you can use to erase those matchups that offensive coordinators spend all week trying to scheme up. And so, are there things to fill in? Obviously, I mean, depth, interior defensive tackle, I think to get somebody to run with Derek Brown, uh, cornerback is probably a position you could address. Maybe, you know, not at eight. I, I think it's probably too early to do that. But right. whether it's 39 or 73 or even at 114, this is a pretty deep cornerback group. You could probably get somebody there. Yeah. Uh, but I think this is a very good defense. I, I think it's got the potential to be a very great defense. I mean, Mark, they, they had – games where there was just strokes of bridge. The game they had in Minnesota, they should have yep. won. I mean, Bridgewater had more in the end zone at the end, his homecoming game, and I know he was heartbroken that he missed that round. Uh, and it was the defense, so they held Dalvin Cook to 66 yards, first of all. That usually doesn't happen. Uh, Zach Kerr, they let go of. I wish they hadn't have done that. I really like his play inside, but there it goes. F.A. Obata, they lose him to Buffalo. He was great at three technique and that NASCAR package. He was sort of an undersized interior tackle, but he would get in there and that, that gap and he would just split guys. And those are two guys they're going to have to account for losing. But I do think you look back at some of the tape, it's, it's all about those three guys I mentioned Burns, 
Brown being a solidifier in the middle, you know, establishing the run defense, and then Chen. Burns and Chen in particular, they're ball hawks, man. They get the bread out. And, and same thing with Reddick. It's all about turnovers in this league. If you can start generating those in bunches, goes a long way to help your offense be a little better. And, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be fun. I really do. Yeah, I, I think, look, the way this game is, is tilted right now in favor of the offense, you know, it used to be, look, you get stops, right? You force three and out, you force punts. Right. Now it's like, look, you force field goals and maybe get a couple of turnovers. Like, that's the recipe yes. now. You're not going to pitch shutouts. 20 in terms of points allowed. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to pitch shutouts. So, look, if you could hold teams to 17, man, you're doing something hey, special. Hey, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Now, wait a minute. You Phil Snow pitched a shutout, by the way, last year. I know. Ironically but... enough, against the, the team he used to be an assistant for when they were 0-16, the yeah. Lions. And, and Matt Stafford, a poor guy, man. Matt they had nothing going on that day in terms of protection. I was stunned. And, uh, I, I, yeah, to your point, but overall, <laughs> that notwithstanding, if you're giving up 26 to 30 a game, it's not as disgraceful as it used to be in this league. No, no. I mean, we all saw that saving clip from a couple of weeks ago, right, where he was talking yes. about, you Love know, it. giving up points a game. I mean, Grumpy as hell. the game has changed. <laughs> yeah, I just hate it. Oh, just hate defensive cut, like, man. They just hate it. They just want yeah. those 13-7 games so bad. Yeah, but uh, so it goes. Well, there you have it. And then the draft here. Let's just wrap up. I want to get a few thoughts on uh, on you know, hey, draft night's coming up here, Mark. It's like it's almost here. So excited! I wish I was there this year. Maybe next year we can make it up there. But uh, Carolina, of course, we kind of batted back and forth some ideas here over the first uh, thirty minutes of the show. They're sitting there at eight. It's a it's a strange position, like you said. It, you know, they they <laughs> they beat Washington. Obviously, you can't tank. You know how that works. You can't ask players to lose on purpose. It's not how it works. Had they lost that game, they'd be fourth. You can't play that game. I've told fans that. So they're eighth. You got to make the best of it. But on the bright side, like you mentioned earlier, you're going to get a really good player, especially with a run on quarterbacks. Mark, you don't need a QB right now. You don't. If you get four or five going early, you get five going early. Man, you're going to have someone really good sitting there at eight uh, or somebody, like you said, that would trade up with a bundle with you to get to eight. Um, are you hearing anything? Is there something, you know, kind of what I'm hearing is they really like Slater a lot. Uh, the Pitts is obviously right on Matt Rule's radar. Uh, yeah, there's, a, there's a long history between those two. He was recruited by Matt Rule at Temple. I just think relationships are important to Matt. I think he leans on that a lot with his acquisitions. I think he can go in that direction if he's available. Where are you leaning right now for Carolina at eight? What makes sense to you? I mean, they can really go in a number of different directions. And I think you are right about the relationships you look at, you know, whether it was PJ Walker, whether it was Reddit coming back. I mean, he's obviously mm -hmm. sort of, you know, tapped into some of the relationships he's already built. On a one-year pretty cheap a, deal, by the way. That deal doesn't happen anywhere other than with Matt Rule. I really think yeah. that. Yeah, and, and so I, I think, look, you know, Kyle Pitts would be a play, but I think he'd be a play for most teams at eight. You know, Slater is one that I've certainly heard. They, they want to make sure that they have the offensive line. You know, when he gives you that flexibility, left tackle, right tackle, maybe kick inside. By the um, way, just real quickly, who, if you had to look like rank these tackles right now, just from your preference, would it be Slater or would it be uh, Penesul? How do you size them up? <laughs> I mean, they're both very good. But. Yeah, I mean, John, I've really gone back and forth on those two, but I think I've come back around to the Div, uh, Penny at one and Slater at two, but it's really a 1A, 1B kind of situation. Right. I just think, you know, Sewell is so young, so athletic, and there's mm -hmm. so much dynamic upside to his game. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a guy I do like a lot is Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State. Oh, yeah. 
Um, he's got that sort of killer's mentality and he's not shy about it. You know, he'll tell you to your face, look, I want to try to kill you. There was a play against, you know, he, I love Joseph Osai, but he gave Joseph Osai everything in that sort of Oklahoma State, Texas game. Including oh, absolutely. Yeah. They ran a downfield screen and Osai's like backside of the play and Tevin's just looking for him. He's like, where's 46? Where's 46? I love seeing that on tape. Him it's and satisfying. Obliterates him, but it's just like, man, like Duke Mayweather, we all love Duke. Heal up, Duke. Yep. We love you, buddy. Yep. But he will tell you, look, he coaches offensive linemen. He coaches a lot of these guys. He will tell you, like, finishing is non-negotiable. And Jenkins brings that. Um, I, I would be surprised if if Jenkins slides any more than, say, like, past, like, 20 or so. I mean, I, I think he's a great player. Yeah, Billy's, um, mentioned, Jenkins, too. Billy's mentioned Jenkins a couple of times. He's very high on him as well. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a it's a good offensive tackle class. I, I also think it's a deep offensive. Yeah, tackle I was going to say they're deep. But Bill and I mentioned this. You know, they very well could end up with uh, one of these very talented kids in the second round and solve that problem. This is where they make their money. This is where the scouts that I talk to on the road. This is where guys like Scott Fitter and and everybody in the front office. You got to make your money with these evals. It's got to get right. And Carolina has struck out. For gosh, Mark, eight years now, nine years since Jordan Gross retired. Some would say too early. Some say he was forced out. I don't want to go through that again. They've had like nine starting left tackles since then. It's a, it's egregious. They gave uh, Khalil like a king's ransom, and he was getting paid by the Panthers when he was playing for the Texans. They've got to get this shit under control. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's tragic, man. And I think if they're sitting there with Penny Sully, staring them in the face, uh, as much as I like Kyle Pitts, every day I change my mind on this. I just don't know. But like you said, it's a deep draft. This is where these evaluators yeah, I mean, you have know, got to make the right decision. But they're 39, just yeah. At 39, you might have like a Dylan Raddins, a Liam Eikenberg, Mayfield, the Michigan kid. Right. But they, Those see, they guys did this, might all be They there. did this with Greg Little, though. That's my concern is, you know, you your odds maybe go down a little bit the later you wait. But I don't know if that's scientifically proven with some of these positions. It's just every draft's different, man. Yeah, no, I mean, that's exactly right. And and this might be in a, a situation where, okay, New England wants to come up and they're giving you two future first to come back to 15 so they can go get a QB. Well, at 15, yep. Jenkins might be there. You know, at 15, Darisol might be there. Darisol, and probably, you might yep. get your left tackle and get two future firsts and maybe New England's pick at 46 that, or 96. The Darisol scenario is one that I pushed out there a couple of weeks ago because I – you know, Paul Alexander, he's, you know, one of the yep. better line coaches out there. He's been working with a lot of these guys. And he's been really high on Darisol. His comment on moving the chains the other night was, you know, I, I saw him the first time he walked in the room. He said, this is a guy day one that's ready. Just all, yep. everything about him. He talked to him, got to know him. And that's a big part of the eval process. But, you know, also, it's not a one-size-fits-all thing. A left tackle for San Francisco's offense might be different than what a Carolina scheme needs. It's just – Panay might be a better fit for another team than Slater. Slater, you can kick him inside a guard if you need to. I like all these guys, man, and I just think fans need to understand. I'm glad you're on the show because you're very reasonable. Fans are still pissed off about the fact they're at eighth and not fourth. I'm like, you know, you can't change history. Just know you're going to have a damn good franchise player sitting right there either a tight end, uh, more of a U tight end with uh, Pitts, uh, maybe one of these great receivers. Not out of the question, Mark. I mean, you have Robbie Anderson's contract be coming up soon. Uh, Joe's going to want to throw the ball. They're going to have to keep stocking that receiving course. I think everything's in play right now, including quarterback, uh, but but I'm fascinated by your analysis there. There's a lot of lot of interesting stuff there that, that I didn't consider, including including Jenkins. I haven't given that a lot of thought, but, man, he's a beast. 
Yeah, he is a beast. I mean, it might seem a little rich for him. I mean, depending on some big boards, he might be a player that's ranked in the 20s. Um, but it's not a one-size-fits-all big board industry. Like, Carolina's board is going to look different than New England's. And, you know, I, I try to stress that to people, too, obviously through the lens of the quarterback position. I mean, there are some quarterbacks in this class. Like, take Brady White from Memphis, who I think is a West Coast-only, schematically limited quarterback. Mm-hmm. Bruce Arians might not have him on his board. Because it's just, look, this is not a guy that's going to run our offense. Same thing for the offensive line. Like, if you've got a guy that's, like, purely gap power and isn't athletic enough to do outside zone, wide zone, even some inside zone stuff, or maybe that's going to be a heavy lift for him, maybe he's not a fit for Carolina, Mm -hmm. you know, but he might be a fit more, say, for New England, you know, because they've done a lot more gap power stuff in recent years. And so, you know, not all boards – that's important to keep in mind – um, for, for listeners, when you yeah. start looking at like big board rankings, at whether it's like the Draft Network or Dan Brugler or whoever, mm-hmm. like it's hard to make a universal big board that's going to fit for every team. Boards will be different. Yeah, and if you exactly. feel like on draft night, like a team is reaching for somebody, well, maybe it's a scheme component. Maybe it's like, exactly. look, yeah, believe it or not, speaking, there's actually human beings in rooms that conduct these drafts. It's not automated yeah, and, through and, AI. There, and there are the, opinions and there are arguments and debates. But Mark, you know the business, man, as much as I do, if not more. Well, that's it's, just it's, it. It's a human element. You don't consider this enough for these mocks. That's just the it. mocks are fun. I love them. But, I mean, every team has their own philosophy on its position. One of, my, one of my favorite people in this industry is Dan Hatman. Former NFL scout with the, the, the Giants. Mm-hmm. He won a Super Bowl. He has a Super Bowl rating, and then they beat the Patriots. He loves to show it off to me. Um, but now he runs a scouted academy. But he's been in those meetings, and he will tell you that, yeah. you know, we, we on the outside that haven't been in those rooms think that, like, the main debates happen over, like, traits and skill set, like how good a player is. Mm-hmm. But he's told me, look, that's not really when the fights happen. The fights happen on the scheme fit side. Yes, exactly. Everybody will agree, like, this guy could do this, this, and this well, this, and this and this not so well then the big question is okay can he run what we run and that's when the fights happen and that's when the difference (laughs) of opinions come into play and so you might see you you know whatever carolina does at eight on some board it might look like a reach potentially maybe not yeah and that's you know going back to like there's been some picks over the years Derek brown a lot of fans were a little underwhelmed by that they felt you know uh, Interior defensive another, tackle no, early in the draft, right? And yeah, I know Billy and I were kind of. Uh, and I, I really I wanted Okuda and Simmons. And looking back, uh, I mean, they had their struggles too. It wasn't all yeah. bed of roses. So, yeah, I think they determined that Jeremy Chin could be their joker position guy, their tweener that could come in and enforce and be that guy that Simmons was going to be if they drafted him. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's there all sorts of situations that you look at in this top ten. It's one of the most fascinating drafts, Mark. And I, I don't want to get too hyped up because I think we'll be a, maybe a little disappointed. Like last year, it just kind of went like we thought it would, the first eight, nine picks. No big trades, nothing major going on. I think this could be a lot different this year. I think there could be a few bombshells or a few shockers. Yeah, I do think so. Um, I do think we're going to get a surprise move or two that we weren't yeah. expecting. Um, and maybe it happens at two. I mean, I know everybody has said Zach Wilson to the Jets is a done deal. I'm not so sure. Uh-huh. Um, you know, maybe it is. Um, but, but I do think that there are people in the building there that also like Justin Fields. And so I wouldn't rule that out. I'll, I'll um, very, I'll very quietly tell you that I can 
very certainly agree with that by something I've heard that I don't want to disclose that nothing's a done deal on that. It's very much leading that direction. But there were some things about Wilson's pro day from somebody I talked to that raised a couple eyebrows and it wasn't bad stuff, but it was just some things that, uh you know, wait a minute, let's just, yeah, that's all I'll say about it. I mean, I'm not, I think he's a marvelous quarterback. Fantastic. But nobody's perfect in this draft. Not even Trevor. A scout no. I talked to told me that Trevor's frame. He's got to work on that. Same with Zach. He's, they're worried about his frame. The, these guys' yeah. upper body frame, they need work. Uh, the thing with Fields is he needs to be a little bit of a processing guy, get better in that area. Lance is, you know, the snaps. Uh, occasionally they, they ding him for arm strength. I don't know why. but I wouldn't ding Lance for arm strength I at wouldn't all. either. I've seen, it. I've seen people do it, and I'm like, what tape are you looking at? But Mac Joe, let's end on this. Let's let's have a little kumbaya moment for the most polarizing quarterback in years, I think. He's go Mac Jones, no, to no fault of his own, threw about a thousand touchdowns last year. I don't think he threw many picks, and he breezed on with a very just a generous set of weapons, great offensive line. But I I kind of got to a point where you know, look, the Mac Jones discourse is funny. I get it. I started looking at the tape. I see some things I like. I see the processing is quick. The intermediate throws are extremely accurate. Charlie Weiss brought up a good point last week. I was listening to him. He said, look, if you can't hit your mark, you don't have a future in this league. No matter how you can it looks, you got to put the ball on the mark. And I think that's one of his strengths. But uh, I I also, in this modern era, I know Mark – Doug Farrar wrote something about this recently, about you know just the need to be able to do things out of structure and outside the pocket. And it's not that he can't, but he just there's no sample size, no data. He just didn't do it. Didn't have to do it. Um, where's Mac Jones in in your eval right now? And uh, do you see him going to the 49ers? Do you see that actually happening? I mean, he's my QB five. Um, I think he's a good quarterback prospect. I think he's more scheme dependent than the other four. Agreed. I think he's the quote-unquote floor prospect as opposed to the ceiling guys. I think the other guys, while they also have good floors, I mean, Lawrence, Wilson, all of them, I think, have solid floors. They've got better ceilings. Let me me interrupt real quick. This is a a question that only you can answer to me right now because I I haven't been close enough to these meetings to know you have. Is the high floor element of this attractive enough for a team in the top three to overlook some of the low ceiling concerns. See, that's just it. And that's what I don't see here. That's just it. Because I don't think you as an organization give up the future first rounders to go get a guy because of his floor. I think right. you do that to get a guy because of your, uh, because of his ceiling. The argument for Mac Jones to the 49ers at three is that he could come in and run their offense. Well, great. But do you give up that? kind of draft capital to get a guy that can run your offense I mean, or to get yeah. a guy that He's, can uh, transcend your offense. And is he the best for that? I mean, I put Justin Fields in that wide zone boot action, man. It would just, or Zach, I just, any, I, whoever's available there, it would just be so much more dynamic. But I again, so. I think that's exactly right, John. One, one, one thing I'll say too is, is Shanahan's run schemes are very, very intricate. And I think one of the things they like about Mac probably is the fact that they, they might feel that he could have a better command of that part of it. But at the end of the day, I would just teach a quarterback how to do that instead of overlooking physical traits that overwhelm the other guy. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Jones can be a good quarterback. I think if you draft Mac Jones, you have to believe that you have the playmakers, the scheme, the playbook, and all that stuff already in yeah. place. And maybe Shanahan thinks that. Maybe that's what he's thinking. He's thinking – 
you know, we've got George Kittle, we've got Brandon Ayuk, we've got the left tackle Trent Williams back, we've got Kyle Juszczyk. Like, we just need a guy that can run our off yeah. offense. I just, They're just another caretaker, though. It's just, yeah, yeah. caretaker. I mean, I hate to use that. It's really insulting. Mac's a good quarterback. Got the pinch. He'll be, you know, great. But he's not. You can't. He looks like Tom Brady with his shirt off. Okay, that, let's stop making the Brady comparisons because that happens and, once about every twenty-five right. years, and, and, right? So I've said it too. We're like, to Tom Brady, and then Justin Fields has to slide down the board right. as a result, and it's all media-driven. Folks that are doing this behind the scenes, they know what's up. But like. If the pathway for a quarterback like Mac Jones to be successful in the NFL is to follow a Tom Brady model of like pocket footwork and pocket feel and yeah. mental fortitude and quick thinking, you're trying to make him follow the path of a generational type of guy in Tom Brady. Like that's well, not relatively right. easy, right? Like, right. And so I think that's why, you know, Doug's written about it. Benjamin Solak's written about it. Oh, yeah. They, Derek Clawson were... wrote about it recently. Bryce Rossler and others have basically said, like, with the CBA rules the way they are, like, can you really coach up a guy to be Tom Brady? Or can you just get a guy like Justin Fields, whose athleticism and secondary movement skills are enough that if he gets that, you don't have to worry about scheming everything to the ninth degree because he can make that free rusher miss. Well, I like think, can, Sar- yeah, you're exactly. Sark did an amazing job scheming up that offense, and they yeah. had so much to. I mean, they had the best receivers in America out there, and I, and, I, I hate taking and, away and, from and, Mac. And, but listen, when you let's say Ayuk goes down, let's say Kittle's ding for a few games, and then Mac's out there exposed. Then he's going to have to show that he can get separation with these throws and, and throw guys open. Uh, one thing he won't be doing is is being a dynamic vertical guy. For all things say about Brady, Brady threw. One of the best deep balls early in his career yep. in the NFL. He had a moon ball he threw in Atlanta, and I think 05 almost hit the damn roof. He yep. had the deep arm strength and accuracy. I haven't seen that from Jones. That's a big difference. Yeah. I mean, he's he's more scheme dependent. He's more playbook dependent, playmakers yeah. dependent. Like That's a guy you draft at 25, not three. That's my whole Or you stay there at 12 and draft him. Like, it's both fine. I'm, I'm okay I, with that. Yeah, I think I mean, Belichick. I, I think Bill could, you know, at fifteen, you'd be like, yeah, if Joseph Saban, 15, the Saban, you know, I'm sure he and Nick surprise talk. Me. He and uh, Nick talk. I saw. I watched that documentary the night again about Nick made a great point uh, about you know, Bill. I, I none, nobody talks to me. Very few guys actually come talk to me about my own players. And if you're not, you're missing out. And I think you know, Matt Rule coached him at the Senior Bowl, talking about Mac Jones here, but they've kind of grown a little cold. I think uh, after maybe what. Not know what they saw, but they just understand. Look, we never had that much interest. Maybe they did, but I really think Belichick could could have some interest there, just because you know, honestly, his relationship with Saban. They've probably had some good inside info fed their way from from Nick and their staff, and you never know. I mean, it's going to be fascinating with Cam Newton as well. I know that I we can end on that note. Cam is a guy that I, I I truly do feel has a couple more good years left in him. I just don't think he's going to be 2015 Cam anymore because I do think that the the shoulder man that's a tough one. That's we don't know the arthritic stuff. It can start to wear down, but after looking at the tape, it's just one of those things where it's just automatically assumed that, okay, you know, I went uh, six touchdowns. How many picks he did score 12 on the ground. Uh, New England fans, I think were jolted because they'd seen two decades of quarterback greatness. And then they've got a very different animal. there playing quarterback that uh, honestly, when a pandemic season just didn't appeal to them, they still won a lot of, Quality games down the stretch, but uh, where, where does Cam Newton go from here? What's going on with Cam when you watch him? I know you watched a lot of Pats last year. 
Uh, he underwhelmed me a little bit with his arm, but I think McDaniels underwhelmed me a little bit with his utilization. Not a lot of RPO game there. What do you think's going on with the Pats and Newton? Are they going to go all in this year with him? Is he going to be a situational guy? What's your feeling on it? I mean, a lot of it might be determined by what happens in two weeks. I mean, if, if they get an opportunity to draft somebody, I, I think they will be aggressive and try to do that. But if it doesn't come together for them, if quarterback is off the table at 15 or even earlier, they can't move up, then I think they're going to do what they can to put an offense around Cam. And we've we've seen that already start to unfold. I mean, when... They have added some weapons. For, for, when, it was bad that, last year. When the tweet came out that they had signed Hunter Henry, their second tight end, I thought I was getting chapsed. I thought I was going to have to oh, sit out. Dude, because... It was like 2011 all over again with uh, with with Aaron opposite of uh, Gronk. Yeah. yeah, that's the vibe I got from what that's, they were trying to do. It's let's. I, I think let's... that's what they're trying to do. That sort of matchup nightmare type of offense with two tight ends that can do a couple of different things. That can be versatile. Do you treat it as a uh, a base defense and you put your base defense on the field, you treat it as a, as a sub package situation and go light against it. Well, they'll run the ball down your throat. I think they're going to try to do that. And I do think that there's a, a scenario and a path where cam could be better than he was last year. I think they're looking at cam and what happened last year, signing late, getting COVID, no oh, traditional absolutely. training camp and all that. Yeah, and, and they're they thinking, look, this is just worst case scenario situation here. Um, I think we can get better production from him. They've added some weapons around him. You know, I, I think they'll address receiver once, if not twice in the draft, yeah. um, maybe at 15 even. And, and so I, I think they're hopeful that plan can be the cam can be kind of not 2015 cam, but maybe more like 2017 cam. 2017 um, will work. I mean, they yeah. won 11 games that way. And I, what cam did so well in 17, one of the biggest things I'll say about Newton is even when he's in Carolina later in the years, some of the Texas route, option route stuff, the intermediate stuff, he was not very good there. He was throwing picks because of deflected balls that were behind guys, and he was sloppy. But he also had a receiving core that was consisted of Funches, who was not all the way healthy. He had Brenton Burson out there running post routes yeah. and dropping balls for picks. It was not pretty, and that's what last year reminded me of so much. Uh, they won less games, but the, the big thing I had a concern with was the foot. The Liz Frank, he looked great running the ball. And I yeah. think with Bill's, like, Navy fetish he has, right. he's been waiting for a long time to – you know, Bill likes to do different things. He wanted to do the drop kick with Doug Flutie. This is, like, his chance. Uh, he's, like, got his divorce, and now he's going to have a little fun. Let me run some cool things here with Cam in the run game. I just think maybe they can open up the pass game a little more now and let Cam uh, – rip it out because he made some throws last year one against houston one against seattle a few others that were just beautiful vertical throws um i don't think the arm is completely gone i think it's just a lot of factors he had covid for crying out loud give him one more chance give him one more year with these weapons and see what he can do and uh maybe squeeze out 10 11 wins and i'd love to see cam back in the playoffs man he meant so much to the fans here and you know as an analyst i can just tell you that you know watching his tape fans here still get a lot of joy out of seeing some of the great moments and if you can get that stadium full again with COVID, maybe even our rear viewer soon. Cam scores that first touchdown, gives that ball away to a young kid in New England. Maybe the fans will start believing a little bit, but it's all about winning in New England, man. As you know, it's got to happen. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly it. And look, we know from what they've already done this offseason, they're, they're going all in now, um, spending the money the way they did. Yep. Um, but I, I'm, I'm with you, John. I, I would love to see that moment, Cam's first touchdown in New England with a full stadium. Um, I think it would be fascinating to see. Hopefully we get to see it here sooner rather than later. All right. Well, listen, Mark, as always, 
you are the damn man. You can find his work at Touchdown Wire. Uh, you know, obviously, you and Doug have just done great work. And I think Laurie Fitzpatrick's joined the team, right? That's Is that what right. I just saw? Laurie's yeah, Laurie's, great, man. Laurie's fantastic. I oh, absolutely love pickup. the way she sees the game. Um, she's played it. She knows it well. She knows it inside and out. She can break down film with the best of them. I just, I'm excited to learn from her. I mean, I That's think it's going to be a blast kid. working with her. That's a great kid. And uh, good luck to her. Of course, she's one of my favorite uh, people on Twitter to follow. And uh, you are as well, my man. Uh, Mark, enjoyed this. This was a great chat. Uh, and let's do it again soon, man. Mark Schofield from Touchdown Wire right here on the Roar Podcast.